Packers Daily with Jason Mertides. And welcome to your Monday, December 21st, celebratory edition of Flyers Daily with Jason Martinez. Bill Meltzer are going to join us in just a moment, but the news has come down that the NHL is coming back. To say I'm excited would be an understatement. I'm counting down the days, literally, until January 13th when it all starts for real once again. It will be the 21 season, if you will, 56-game regular season. The Flyers have not played a game since September 5th, 107 days ago. We are now just 22 days away from the drop of the puck on a brand new season and now just 13 days away from training camp starting when that will start on January 3rd. So all the details coming out. We don't have the schedule yet. That'll come out in the next couple of days. We don't have all the protocols and conditions and all that stuff just yet. We have the critical dates when the season starts. We'll tackle all of it in my conversation right now with Bill Meltzer. Well, the day we've all been waiting for, not just to talk to Bill Meltzer, because we enjoy that every time on Flyers Daily, but uh, the day where we find out that a deal has been ratified. I'm excited, and I know Bill is as well. From NHL.com, PhiladelphiaFlyers.com, and HockeyBuzz.com, it's Bill Meltzer on the Flyers Daily podcast. Bill, we've been waiting for this day. It has arrived. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and and uh, we got the news of the tentative agreement the other day, and, and uh you know, it seemed inevitable, but you know, it's no, nothing's ever done till it's done. So that uh, that was really good news today that the board of governors, as well as the unions, on board with this, and you know, we've, we've got a plan. Well, it's it's funny because it's not funny, but it's 2020, and I, I feel like we've had what is what I would term for by 2020 standards a pretty good weekend. Uh, the, the the government in uh, you know in the United States reached a new stimulus deal. Um, another vaccine has been approved and people are getting vaccinated. I'm seeing people on my Facebook timeline that are getting vaccinated that I know. It's like, wow, these are people I actually know. They're really getting it. Yeah. And now the NHL is returning and it's, I'm just so happy about it. Um, let's go through kind of uh, some elements of the agreement. The uh, NHL put out the statement and, you know, there's quotes in there from Gary Bettman. There's quotes in there from Don Fear. And once again, the two of them, Bill, had to work in, in, in tandem here um, and, and not let it get personal. And do something that was very difficult, because this is different than the NBA. One, because the NBA is a league that is um, has a much larger TV contract, not as predicated on gate revenue. But also, they only had one team north of the border that's playing in Tampa. The NHL's got seven. They were able to navigate that, and it wasn't easy. No, not at all. I mean, the, figuring out whether there was going to be a Canadian division, which also involved negotiations with uh, the Canadian government and the various provincial governments. Um you know, it's, uh, you know, there's, I mean, it, it's going to be interesting there. They're, you know, to see some of the more finer details of this, you know, like uh, just, just as an example, you know, how in the, uh, the Ontario league, you know, when they do return, there's sort of no checking rules. It's a, it's a provincial health mandate. Yeah. Right? You can't have no checking in, in games involving Toronto. So that, uh, you know, so I, I, you know, I don't know how they how they dance between the raindrops on that, but they they seem to navigate all those treacherous waters. And listen, I mean, the uh, the union and the the league had, you know, they, they're working together here. Um, you know, they got the CBA done. There were there were some potential pitfalls in terms of um, you know adjusting escrow or deferred compensation. Ultimately, they decided they weren't going to touch that issue this year because that was not progressing fast enough to, uh, you know, to 
to get a deal done in a realistic time frame. So the league decided, well, you know what? We won't worry about this this year. We'll just go with what we agreed to for the CBA. And there'll be, I think, like 28% in, in escrow slash uh, deferred compensation slash make goods for, you know, lost revenues last season. So once they, once they got that elephant out of the room, they were able to work together on, on the details of this. And, you know, from there it went relatively relatively fast once they got you know that particular issue out of the way so now we're, we're just waiting to see what the schedules will look like do you anticipate that maybe they renew that conversation about deferment and stuff going forward not just they, i don't think that they just probably said okay we're not going to try and resolve this we just don't have time to do it now right I, 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 yeah. enough I protocols to deal with and everything else so they'll yeah, visit that maybe yeah. in the off season right yeah i think i think it gets revisited over the summer yeah I think the league circles back to, to the Players Association. I also think that was part of selling it to the Board of Governors too, because there were some owners that were pretty hardline on, on you know, wanting these these adjustments on the compensation side, and uh, for for them to you know table it this season, I wouldn't imagine it's permanent. I would imagine it, they they could circle back. Um, Bill, let's look at the NHL critical dates, it's because um, you know the season is going to start. That everything is tentative in this world. So let's just get that out of the way real quick. But the tentative dates are for the Flyers and the 24 teams in total that were in the original return to play uh, to start training camp coming up on January 3rd. And then they'll start their season on January 10th or January 13th, excuse me. And the seven teams that did not participate in the return to play will start on the 31st with training camp. And then their season will obviously start at the same time as well. Um, when you look at kind of the critical dates and how this lays out, the league looks like it wants to wrap up the regular season in basically early to mid-May, get the uh, playoffs underway, hand out a cup by J- July 10th or July 15th. And then one thing that I found was very interesting in the release that they sent out was that they want to start their 2021-22 season on a, quote, normal time frame yeah. back in early October and get back to normal in the NHL. Yeah, and uh, you look at the turnaround when the draft is, and then free agency starting. I think July twenty eighth. It's not in front of me, but I think that's that's when it starts. So mm-hmm. yeah, they'll they'll start the off season a little later, but it'll be a, a shortened off season after uh, you know a very very long off season here. So uh, yeah, after you know they'll they'll try to get back on a, a normal. It'll be a little bit of a shortened off season. So you know I, I we'll see if they're still able to do things like the development camps and those you know, those normal things you'd see in an off season um, just because the development camps would overlap with like when the world junior showcases in the summertime. So I don't, I don't know if they'll have that in the summer, but I think once they get teams into camps early September, then, you know, back on, back on, you know, was the schedule we were used to. Yeah. It's very interesting too um, with the way, you know, the critical dates for this season work out, you're going to have your expansion draft. And a couple of days later, you're going to have your NHL draft. I think that free agent frenzy day is July 28th, which is obviously later than it's ever been with the exception of this past year. Um, but to, you know, it's, it's real interesting how this is going to lay out it. The off season is going to be slightly shorter, but the off season that we've basically had since the cup was handed out until when the NHL is going to start on January 13th has been pretty close to normal, albeit a different time of year. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, so it's, uh, you know, it's just, I mean, it's not a, it's not a radical adjustment here. So I, 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 you know, I think it'll, it'll, it'll feel much more like a normal off season, especially, you know, especially after all the craziness in, in 2020, 
that it'll, it'll feel feel normal by comparison only. You know, I don't know how the draft will work. You know, but maybe players going up the stage wearing masks still. That seems to be who we are wearing masks for a while. So, you know, there'll be some – it won't be entirely back to, uh, you know, the well, – what it was before, but I mean, it, it'll be uh, a lot closer to normal. Let's put it that way. Hey, Bill, as I look at the critical dates calendar, December 28th is when the waiver period begins. December 31st, like I mentioned, the non seven non-playoff teams from the original return to play. Their camp opens January 3rd. Uh, the 2014 field training camp opens January 13th. The season starts. February 1st is when teams can begin requesting players to waive their no-movement clause for expansion draft purposes. Um, and then the trade deadline on April 12th. Uh, May 8th will be when the regular season ends. May 11th will be when the playoffs begin. July 15th is the last possible day of the NHL playoffs. And 24 hours after the playoffs end, the buyout period begins. Then the 21st, like I mentioned, the expansion draft. 23rd and 24th is the entry draft, which, which from what I understand, Bill, they want to hold in a building, um, yep. not virtually. Yep. Obviously, this is all subject to change, but that's good news as well. Uh, but when we look at that, uh, teams can begin requesting players to waive their no movement clauses for expansion draft purposes. How does that generally usually work? Well, I, you know, the, uh, that, uh, that's interesting because I don't, I don't know how many teams are going to approach players while. Yeah, that's still, what I'm thinking. <laughs> I, I don't think, you know, I don't think you're going to see a lot of teams do that. Um, you know, they, they might, they might float as a motivator in some cases, but I don't, I don't think that, uh, you know, I, I don't think there's going to be a lot of those conversations going on in depth until till after the season, unless the team is already out of contention at that point. But I, you know, I, I wouldn't see uh, I wouldn't see many contending teams. Obviously, a lot of the people listening to this podcast are wondering when can we be back in the building. That that's a big question. We're all happy the game is coming back, and we get the entertainment of the game on our televisions, which is much better than not having it at all. Uh, we talked about this last week, Bill. Some buildings in Florida, for example, are planning to have some fans initially pending different you know, safety guidelines. I think in Tampa, they're uh, around 3,800. Uh, I see in Dallas, for example, they may be able to have as upwards of 5,000 fans. Um, but when you look at this, this is kind of a moving target when it comes to fans in the building as well. Um, but when you look at that element of it and the – you know, we looked at hub cities, we looked at all these different angles playing in the home building uh, was pretty important to the owners. Wasn't it? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think it's pretty important for the players too. Yeah. You know, um, Live at home. <laughs> yeah. Well, living at home, being, being on a, you know, a normal kind of schedule, you know, you, you go to your normal practice rank, you go home afterwards. You know, I, I, I don't think that anybody really wanted to do the, the hubs, maybe, maybe some owners are saying, well, I'm losing so much money, you know, opening a building 80%, 80%, 90% empty, you know, in some cases, no fans at all. So there may, there may have been some owners that, that prefer to share the cost of, of doing a hub. I don't know, because that was mighty expensive. So I don't think, I don't think that'd be the case even, even with that. So, I, I mean, I think, I think that's a really big thing for, uh, you know, for the owners, for the players and for the fan, for the fans too. I mean, uh, you know, we'll see how many, We'll see how many fans, you know, are, are in the stands and in different venues. It's going to be interesting to me where, you know, I mean, there's going to be so little travel this season anyway, because if you think about it, yeah. the Flyers are not going to go any further north than Boston, no <laughs> further west than Pittsburgh, and no further south than D.C. That's the whole, that's the whole season. And that's a train ride. 
Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you're one of these teams in, in what is termed now, I guess, the East Division, uh, or the is it the East Division? I think it's the East Division, yeah. right? I had it written in front of me. Um, when you look at that and you go, okay, um, if that's the case, then boy, we we have a really easy travel year. Um, and of course, unless you get to a conference final where each division is going to have a team represented. So let's look at the divisions, Bill, because I think this is this is fascinating. And, and I want to deep dive into some of these divisions as well. Uh, the, and, they, and they gave them new names. Um, the Canadian division, what we were calling it and what media has been calling it, is now the North. Yeah. Not the most creative. Um, other than if you go, we the North, you know, like the, you know, the Raptors do. Uh, but that consists, obviously, of Calgary, Edmonton, Montreal, Ottawa, Toronto, Vancouver, and Winnipeg. Seven teams. They'll play each team eight or nine times, rather, and some teams ten times with one less team. And then the West Division is Anaheim, Arizona, Colorado, uh, the Kings, Minnesota, San Jose, St. Louis, and Vegas. And that's interesting because there's some teams in there that aren't in that time zone very often. And they're going to be in that time zone a lot more, aren't they? Yeah, that's uh... – you know, they're going to they, they're going to have a much rougher travel schedule, although, you know, I, I wouldn't be shocked if you're minimizing the number of trips that you take. And you see, you know, like you see it in the uh, in the AHL, you'll you'll see two teams play in the same building back to back nights, that kind of thing. So yeah. that, uh, you know, like if, um, well, you know, let's say Raleigh is coming into to, to Philadelphia to Allentown to play the Phantoms. They, but they may be there Friday and Saturday, so they're you know it reduces one of the trips to Philly. So that uh, you know, I, I think that that would be similar to how, they, how they're going to run the divisions, where there's a lot of cross time zone or, or further distances. I, you know, I I, I guess they, they might try to equal that out in terms of just all the divisions, but I, I certainly think in those divisions you'll see you know a lot of doubling up of games. Yeah, I, I, I anticipate that as well, too. That also saves money in travel, frankly. Yeah. Um, and you look at it, and I think we're supposed to get the schedule sometime early this week before the holiday, which is good. We'll be looking at that and breaking it down and doing everything. Um, the Central Division's got Carolina, so the Flyers lose Carolina from their division. Uh, Chicago also in that division, Columbus, Dallas, Detroit, Florida, Nashville, and Tampa Bay. That, that's a pretty tough division. <laughs> uh, there's some easy teams in there, uh, but there's some teams on the rise. There's a lot of variables, I think, in that division. Uh, that West division, to me, Bill, looks the weakest. Yes, doesn't it? I, I agree. I yeah, would have been I, chomping at the bit if I'm St. Louis. I'm like, put me in the West. Oh, yeah. And, and listen, I mean, going in, you only have to finish in the top four. Yeah. You know, there's really not a ton of incentive to win your division. Um, you know, you do get the home ice advantage and, and whatever, but I mean, it that might mean something. That might mean more. Yeah. I mean, it's just get, get in, <laughs> yeah. get in. And, and uh, you know, as, as we've seen, anybody can win any series, you know, in terms of, in terms of the, the home ice side of it. So it, uh, you know, I, I don't, uh, I, I don't know, but I mean, the biggest thing is just make sure, make sure you're one of the top four and then, uh, you know, go from there. Yeah. So, um, the East division. And, th and this is incredibly compelling to me. Uh, Boston, who was the president's trophy winning team in the regular season last year, the only team to eclipse 100 points. Buffalo, uh, with the addition of Taylor Hall and others. Uh, the New Jersey Devils, the New York Islanders, who went to a conference final. The Rangers, who made the return to play but didn't win a game but won the lottery. Uh, the Flyers, Pittsburgh, and Washington. And Washington now without a backup goaltender, Henrik Lundqvist. And uh, Pittsburgh's obviously made a bunch of moves as well. When you look at this East, to me, this is the highest pedigree division, Bill. And it's a, it's a really difficult one to handicap because in a 56-game season, you and I have talked about this. Um, if you get off to a slow start, 
you know, those games, every game does mean more. So if you get off to a slow start and chasing it, it's going to be a real tough division to come back on, especially when you're playing each other each night. Right. Right. So if you fall a little bit behind those three point games are going to be, oh. yeah, it's, it's going to make it really hard to, to come back. You know, you need to, uh, you're going to need to win those games in, in regulation in, in most cases. Um, it's, it is, it's a really hard division to, to handicap, you know, you, you never for good or for bad go by last season, but mm-hmm. you know, but listen, I mean, the, the flyers finished ahead of all, but Boston and, and Washington, and they would have probably have caught Washington the way the flyers were, were playing. And if you, you know, if you add, if you count the, uh, the round Robin as an extension of that, the flyers would have flyers did pass them. So it was really only Boston, you know, and then of course, Tampa Bay. Um, but I mean, among the teams that are in the Flyers division. So, you know, I mean, the Flyers should be a competitive team in there to finish to finish in the in the, the thick of that race for the top four. Um, that being said, you know, I mean, Pittsburgh is still in, in a short, short season. They're still Pittsburgh. I mean, they may not be the same level of cup contender. The window might be closing, but they're still a threat. Right. The, the Rangers are a team on the rise. You know, the. Uh, we'll see we'll see how much better buffalo is i still think they're a little bit short and i think yeah i think jersey's still a little bit short too but the islanders are in the flyers division and uh the islanders of course were just uh the islanders are one of the top teams in the nhl early on in the season remember they they had a big winning streak early on first eight weeks they were great and uh then you know then they they had their share of difficulties and then they they peaked at the right time in the postseason yeah, you know, Bill, had the season gone on, they probably wouldn't have made the playoffs. They had lost 16, I think, were, in their last 19 they were, Yeah, they, they were in a lot of trouble. But, I mean, yeah. you know, as, as we saw in the postseason, and they're very well coached, and they have a very good roster there. So, you know, they're certainly in that mix, too. Really, really, it, it looks like five, maybe six teams competing for those four spots. Um, you know, that that's not, to say, that's not to say that a team like Jersey or, uh, you know, or Buffalo couldn't shock and – you know, really rise this year with young talent they have or Taylor Hall going there or whatever. I do think, though, that the teams that have continuity are going to have a, an advantage with a uh, with a fast start, you would think, just because it's a short camp. Um, teams that have a new coach like like Peter Laviolette in, uh, in Washington, um, you know, his system isn't one you pick up overnight. You know, mm-hmm. he plays a very up-tempo kind of a style. Saw that and- in 2010. Yeah, for sure. Yep. And it didn't, didn't really click till till the postseason. Till they, yeah, eight know. of nine. They lost their first eight of nine under Peter. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, teams that have a lot of new players, new systems to install. That's, uh, you know, they they could be they could be teams that might get off to slower starts. So teams that are able to have a little continuity in their lineup and their rosters and, and whatnot, you know, would be teams that I would think that would have a benefit going in. And and there is a. You know, there, there is some turnover with the Flyers, but I think there's overall a lot of continuity. Bill, if I said uh, of these four teams, two will get in and two will not in the East. I got to get used to this East. Why couldn't they just go in a Patrick division? But um, <laughs> if I give you these four teams, two are going to get in, two aren't. Boston, the Islanders, Pittsburgh, and Washington. Which two would you bank your money on that are going to get in and two that wouldn't get in out of those four? Hmm. Uh I think one of Pittsburgh, Washington, and the Islanders are definitely not making it. Right, right. I mean, I think Boston. Like one of them is not. Although, I mean, although Boston's had Boston's a lot of turnover too, you know. Yeah, the and they're old. Yeah, mm-hmm. so that's uh, you know, I mean, uh, they 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 seem to find a way year in and year out to just be a, a strong team and a contender. Yeah, but I mean, you know, 
But I don't, I don't see them falling out of the top four, though. Yeah. You know? So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'd say Boston would be, would be safe in there. Uh, the, again, the window is closing on, on Pittsburgh. You know, if you have a, if you have a key injury, if, if Crosby or Malkin or, or Latang or the goaltending doesn't hold up or, or whatever the case might be, they could be a team that's in some trouble. Uh, you know, I, I think the Islanders are more like the team we saw in the playoffs than, than, you know, in the second half of the season mm. last year. So, you know, um, Washington without all of a sudden having Lundquist too, who had to shelve it for the season because of the heart condition. Right. Now they're in a really precarious spot. They're gonna have to go to the waiver wire, I would assume, because yeah. they're coming in with Samson off and I guess who Felix Copley. Yeah, no veteran experience there at all in this season, and the environment may not be great with Peter Laviolette's system immediately. That could be. That's a really interesting one to keep an eye on. We'll deep dive into those a little bit more. Um, as we kind of go through the return to play. Bill, I, I came up with an idea because I, I think, and I, I tweeted this out and I sent it to you as well. I said, I would have loved to see the NHL name the divisions after the best retired player since 1990. So it's pretty recent, right? To have played the most games in their prime on that team in each of these divisions. And here's the divisions that I came up with right. based on that criteria. So the North would be Gretzky because he won all the cups in Edmonton. But I guess that wasn't since 1990. 90, though, yeah, he was in yeah. L.A. And then, yeah. I'm in trouble already. <laughs> so I guess I would have to go for Canada then, or for the North. I mean, where am I going here then? Since 1990, who who's the best player to play north of the border? Wow. Uh, well, there's so many good ones. I, I have to recalculate yeah. here. Yeah. All right, well, well I'll shelve that. So <laughs> since I screwed I it up. Say, I was say that needs a little bit of thought on that, you know? Yeah, and now all of a sudden, Gretzky has to be my representative for the West because yeah. <laughs> of the Kings. But I had either Sackick or Forsberg. Probably Forsberg, though, because Sackick is the GM of a team in that division. Yeah, yeah. Um, for the Central, I went with Steve Eiserman for all those years in Detroit. But Detroit's not actually in the Central. Right, that's right, <laughs> So he can, the division can be named after Iserman because Detroit doesn't play in it. It wouldn't matter if Detroit did anyway, they're going to lose a lot of games. Um, and then for the East, I, I had to go with Mario Lemieux. Yeah, I think that's a, yeah. I mean, you could, you know, you, no, it's, it's Mario. I mean, you could, you could throw some other names out there like Yager or something, but it, yep. it, it, it's a name. Uh, I also did the same exercise, of course, based on the best goalie to ever, ever played in each division. So the North was, I put Dryden. Because Patrick Wild won all the cup, he, well, he won two cups in Montreal too. But um, I made him the the namesake of the West. I made the Central. I'd probably go with Belfour. Belfour or Espo? Where are you going there? Yeah, uh, well, let's see. Belfour did. Belfour won a cup also, but he won one. Espo. Yeah, Belfour checks a couple of boxes. He's got the Chicago box and the Dallas box. Yeah, yeah. I, I still think I, I still think I might go with Tony Esposito. Okay. Uh, and then the East, it's either Brodeur or Hashik. So, and I'll go Brodeur. North. Yeah. Because he had, yeah. The cup so. success. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. Of course, he had those great years in Buffalo, but he, he won in Detroit and he, uh, mm -hmm. so, yeah. Um, I got a few Twitter questions for us, Bill. This is, I, I'm so excited. Like, I'm all over the place. I'm, I'm buzzing here tonight because I'm just so happy that the game's coming back. Uh, so I put out a solicitation on Twitter for Twitter questions. We haven't done them in a while. And Brian Marinari tweets and he says, Will TK return to pre playoff form this coming season? Uh, I was shocked, Bill, that he struggled like he did to get it going offensively inside the bubble. I thought he would have been one of those guys that was immune 
to the environment infecting that much as a young player. Although I know he's a guy that feeds off the crowd and discontent on the road and likes to be an agitator. And he still was that. Uh, but what do you expect out of Travis Konechny in this uh, very important season for him? In 24 yeah. goals last year, I think he's going to have a big year. I think Konechny will be, be just fine. I think, mm-hmm. you know, the, uh, you know, I, I don't know. Sometimes in the playoffs, things can snowball a little bit, but I, I think he'll be, I think he'll be fine in the, uh, the regular season. Uh, I, I saw a tweet that Jordan Hall put out. He puts out some of the most innocuous numbers, which I love. Um, but it, the Travis Konechny last season, five on five, um, led the NHL in points or goals, goals per goals, five on five in the National Hockey League. And you're talking that's above guys like, you know, Connor McDavid, 1.19 goals per uh, 60 minutes, five on five. Kucherov was 1.19 as well. Panarin was 1.17. Again, this is five on five goals per 60 right. minutes. Travis Konecki, 1.27. Yeah, that's uh, it's impressive. Uh, that, that's a, yeah, I mean, that, that certainly speaks to getting it done. I mean, a large part of that was that he had that. Great start on the line with uh, Couturier and, and Lindblom. They were the Flyers' best line for the first six weeks. Yeah. And they were just scoring five on five, it seemed like, every night. You know, um, I'll credit Jordan again because I just saw this as well. Uh, last season, the Flyers went a combined against the teams in the division that will be in their division this year that will be the only teams that they played in the entire uh, – that they'll play the entire regular season schedule. Uh, they went 13-5-3 against the clubs in the East Division. And Carter Hart's career numbers against those teams are pretty ridiculous. He's a 9-10 save percentage and a 4-1 uh, record. Against the Sabres, 2-0 in his career and a 9-64 save percentage. 2-1 against the Devils with a 9-22 save percentage. Against the Islanders, 0-2, 8-33 save percentage. There's the, there's the black eye. Uh, against the Rangers, 3-1-0, 9-21. And against the Penguins, 1-1 with a 9-36 and against the Caps, one one and one with a nine twenty six save percentage as well. Pretty gaudy numbers for a guy that's coming up on a contract year as an RFA. <laughs> oh sure, sure. It's, you know, s- small sample size and things. Yeah, year to year, you know, like the, the Islanders are just pulled in the game, so that's gonna, you know, that'll inflate the numbers there in the, in the small sampling. But uh, you know, he's he certainly his career is certainly off to a tremendous start, and you know, that's obviously a key to the season. He just keeps doing what he's doing. I think that's a, you know, I think that's pretty close to a given as close as can be to a given for a young goalie. But again, uh, you know, he, he's clearly something special. Um, John Morrison tweets and he says, who of the prospect grabs a spot out of camp? There are a lot of guys with seemingly duplicate skill sets. Uh, Lashinsky, Twarinsky, Bunneman, Sandine. Does Frost become the man? There are a lot of guys pushing who sticks. That, that's a great question. That's um, the million dollar question. Right yeah, there. for sure. I, I think that, uh, you know, I, I think that, Lashinsky has a chance. Um, you know, the, the readiness of uh, Nolan Patrick, you know, it, it hurts Nolan that there aren't going to be any preseason games. I don't know exactly where he's at in terms of his readiness. I think we'll learn a little bit more as they, they get into camp and, you know, he gets in some contact and see if how close he might be to being ready. Um, you know, if he, if he is not ready to start the season, then you might see Morgan Frost open the year in a third line center or, you know, possibly i you know i you know you i, I think lashinsky has a has a decent shot at playing some games in the nhl this year i expect them to i think they're going to want to see allison play a little bit before they consider him for the nhl team just because of how many games he missed due to injuries in college um you know i, I mean sandine isn't really a kid but he is he is a first year player coming in so i mean i think i think that's going to be one of the biggest things to determine over the 
over the 10 day camp um, is going to be if any of the any of the kids push for spots. I, I don't think that uh, although a year ago although a year ago both Bonneman and Torinsky did make the opening night roster to, yeah. go to, uh, to go to Prague. So you never you never totally write them off. But I, I think the numbers game is a little is a little more complicated right now. So I, I, you know, I think that both of those guys have uphill battles, but, uh, you know, Bunneman might be a guy who might be a candidate for fourth line center. If you end up with uh, say Scott Lawton on the third line center. So, you know, you never say never there, there are going to be a lot of guys they take a look at. Um, and then if there's a, then if there's an injury to a defenseman, you know, and Zamula has a great camp and suddenly you're talking about him to see, to see grab a spot. So, um, you know, I, I think that that's that's going to be one of the most intriguing things to look at. I think during during training camp is how ready are how ready the younger guys, how much of the guys who've had opportunities before, how much you know, what kind of off seasons they have, how ready are are they to come in and compete? I don't think there's absolute answers to any of that right now, but it uh, you know we should know pretty soon. Um, Bill, let me combine two uh, different Twitter posters questions. RJ Smiley tweets in with the first part, and Manny comes in with the second. So here's RJ's part. Uh, should Robert Haig get a shot with Provorov? And then Manny's part says, assuming Myers is indeed Provorov's partner on the right side of the top pair, who's going to play the right side with Travis Sanheim? So let's tackle them both. Uh, should Robert Haig be a guy that's considered to, to be a top uh, D pairing guy with Ivan Provorov? I, I don't see that. I, to me, it makes more sense to try Phil Myers there before uh, I do anything with Robert Haig, um, my opinion. And I do start with Myers as Provorov's partner, you know, all things considered, unless... Eric Gustafson really shows me something in camp. Yeah, I, I, I agree with all the above. Um, I think Myers get, gets the first crack at it. Um, you know, I think that uh, Hague's best role is third pair plus PK. Yep. Uh, you know, I Physical think, presence. Yeah, I think, I, think, I think that's where you want him, playing about 16 minutes a game. I think that's, you know, that's where he, he helps you the most and hurts you the least uh, because, because of just, just the style that he plays. I mean, I think that he's, if he, he plays down the lineup a little bit, where he's not out against, you know, he's not out against the Crosbys and the, uh, you know, uh, doing a Vetchkin imposter and yeah, I mean, you you don't, you know, I, I think those would be tough matchups to put him into. So, yeah, I, I would I would be surprised, um, you know, if you if you put him there. One thing with Sandheim is that uh, he can play either side. He can play left or right. Actually, when he played with Provorov, the not last season, but the season before, they were together the second half of the season, and Sanheim played exclusively the right side. He he's pretty comfortable playing either side, but you know did play the left this past year and played pretty well there. And Gustafson is more comfortable on the right. So, yeah, if if Gustafson has a really bang up camp, and maybe maybe you see that, I think that you know I, I think that Provorov's partner may be rotating a little bit over the course of a game. Yeah. I, it, well, I won't be like. Um, you know, when Niskin was here, where every time Provorov goes over the boards, Niskin goes with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that you might see it situationally, and it's a little bit of, uh, you know, go by who's playing well, who you're playing, what the score is, and, and those kind of things. Yeah, you get in certain situations in the games, you may take a look at other opportunities to see who maybe meshes with him better. Uh, let's combine two uh, Twitter questions again. Michael Hecht with the first part in this one, and then the second part of this one will come from uh, Philly wants the cup, Jay Terso 98. But let's start with uh, uh, the first part of this question from Michael. Will Nolan Patrick have an impact this year? Is he projected to play right away? And then the second part of that uh, question uh, is, is directed towards Nolan as well, but also with Oscar Limbon. And uh, Jay Terso 98 says, how much production do you expect out of Oscar and Nolan? So let's take them individually. Uh, we just talked about Nolan Patrick briefly. 
Um, I, I think our answer in tandem here, Bill, is kind of like we don't know yet because um, the Flyers hasn't, haven't released anything. And until their doctors and their staff and training staff and everybody gets an eye on him and sees how he's doing and puts him through the paces and does the physicals and all the requisite medicals, uh, we just don't know the answer to that yet. But based on his offseason and maybe some of the scrimmages that he plays in, I think there's, you know, there's reason to be hopeful. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, at least they'll be ready sometime fairly early in the season. You know, again, you don't want to just throw them out there with no, uh, you know, with, just, you know, with 10 days of camp and no exhibition games. I, I don't know how realistic it's going to be to get him out there for opening night. But if he, but if he handles all the contact drills and, you know, and, and is feeling, you know, reasonably well as, as you go into the season and, you know, and uh, then, then potentially, you know, he potentially get him out there kind of quickly. I, if he's, if he's healthy, you know, even though he, even though he missed the season, you know, I, I think he can, he can get on track. Uh, it certainly, you know, certainly, you know, his second year was not what you would have liked it to be, but it wasn't a disaster either. You it's know, good halves, if yeah. you will. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, I, I think the capabilities are there. It, it's an unknown with, with Oscar, um, you know, listen, when, when he came back in the postseason, everybody was just thrilled to see him. But I mean, it, that, that was a tough go for him. He wasn't part of regular camp. He just had a, a couple of practices with the team and he just wanted so badly to play and the team just emotionally needed him as well as hockey wise. And, you know, I mean, he did he play to his standards as he did during the season? I don't think anybody could realistically have expected that. But I think after a normal offseason, you know, all his scans are clean. He's he's, he's trained the way he, he would ordinarily for a season. I, I see no reason, you know, why barring injury that uh, uh, that Oscar shouldn't have a good season. Um, Kyle tweets in at Kyle underscore goose. And he says, who's going to be the most important player that needs to step up into the season? Will it continue to be guys like Couturier, Hart, Giroux? Or are the supporting guys like Provi Hayes, Voracek going to need to contribute more? Well, I disagree with this terminology, first of all. I would never consider my top D pair guy who plays 28 minutes a night to be a supporting guy or my 2C or my top line winger. Um, but look, I think, Bill, the, the answer to that question is really simple. If you're going to want to make the top four in that division, all of those guys need to have a good season. I agree. I agree. You, you know, that's, that's the whole thing. You need your, you need your best players to be your best players, especially playing so many, you know, like eight games with Boston and eight games with uh, the Islanders and eight with the Rangers and so on and so forth. You know, you're, you're playing, uh, you're playing tough teams basically every night. So you, you know, you can't, uh, you, you know, you can't take games off. You need your best players to step up to set the way. And, uh, you know, in terms of guys who need to take their game to the next level of consistency, you know, we were talking about Myers and Sanheim. Those are two critical guys to me um, because they did not, were not able to replace the uh, roster spot, you know, the Madniskin and left all the, all the minutes he played, all the situations he played. So those two guys are going to have to, uh, you know, take the next step to where they are, you know, filling a lot of the gap and also guys like Gustafson and, you know, hopefully Ghost has a little bit of a bounce back season, has the opportunity to play. But you see, we're, we're saying it's everybody, right? Yep. It, you can't have any passengers. You need you need most of the team playing to the expectations you have for them. Otherwise, it, it, it's going to be tough. It's a, it's a tough group of teams they're playing against. Yeah, it's, with the division, too, it's an incredibly detail-oriented division. When you look at the, the top six teams in that division, I, I agree with you on New Jersey. I think Buffalo may have the potential to – 
kind of can, you know, come down the home stretch here in position. Maybe they falter at the end because of goaltending or whatever, but with the addition of Taylor Hall, uh, I'm just not sure what the effect's going to be. And, you know, Ralph Kruger was a big reason why he ended up going there. So I think he's going to be a motivated player on a one-year deal. Um, but with those top six teams, you have to play really detail-oriented hockey. When you're playing Patrice Bergeron, yes, you have to you have to mind the details. When you're playing against a player like Ovechkin, who's so lethal, it's the details. It's getting the puck deep, not chipping it to the hash marks. It's those little things that will kill you against these teams in this division. It's more pronounced in this division, I think, than any. But um, Travis Bowlinghoff tweets in. He says, with the new rule of needing to carry three goalies, it's unlimited goalies, which I rejoice that. I'm waiting for the phone to ring. Like, come on, man. What's going on here? It's my chance, boys. Um, what do you think the Flyers should do with a third goalie? Interesting question. He said, call up Lions, sign or trade for a goalie outside the organization and keep line in the AHL to mentor Ustamenko slash Sandstrom. Um, to me, this is the, the, the three goalies that they're going to carry to me should be Carter Hart, Brian Elliott, and Alex Lyon. Yeah. End of story. Yeah. And, and I mean, the obligation is, is three between the NHL roster and the taxi squad. You don't yeah. need all three on your NHL roster. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, and then if you're, if you're trying to make an outside acquisition and put them in the taxi squad, uh, you know, so I assume would be a veteran. So we'd have to clear through waivers to put him on the taxi squad. So that kind of defeats the purpose of getting a guy in the first place. I, I think, it, I think it's going to be exactly those guys, you know, and uh, you know, and you're, you're hoping to continue to develop Ustamenko. And I'm not sure what the plan for Sandstrom is. I assume he'll come back. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's going to be hard for the hard to get time for three guys in uh, Lehigh Valley. So it's uh, you know, if, 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 and when the AHL starts, because that, you know, that's, that's still an if. Uh, they're they're aiming yeah. for February, but there might be some opt out teams, and their situation is still a lot more tenuous than the NHL. Uh, I think that's part of you know hopefully the hopefully the taxi squads are short lived, and you know you're able to get your taxi squad guys actually to the American League, so they're getting in games. But uh, yeah, I think I think those are the guys. I, I think Lion is your is your number three. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, last question comes from a very faithful listener to the Flyers Daily Podcast. That's Bob Haynes Jr. on Twitter, and he says. Are there any outside additions to the roster before the season PTO or signing any trades? This is interesting, Bill, because now we know when we're playing, there's still some decent names out there. We saw Anthony Duclair sign the other day for a one-year contract uh, down in Florida. Um, are there any outside additions and what's the PTO market going to look like? I, I don't think there's going to be much of a PTO market just because how short. Expanded. Yeah. You have, you have for most teams, you have 10 days of camp. No, uh, no exhibition games. You know, you coach needs to get a look at a, at a group of players, but it's not like it's not like a full training camp where you're you're going to get into two, three exhibition games. You know, be able to look at be able to look at a PTO player on on you know with several different line mates or really some time to do that. So you you might see some PTOs for prominent guys who are still hanging out there on side and they're just trying to create where they're just essentially trying to buy time to create cap space before you have to set your roster. I, I, th I think you might see some PTOs there. Um, I mean, the Flyers do have what about two million of cap space to play with, something like that. Yeah, two with two point three, I think. Two point three. So if one benefit to going into the season, what you have, is that you bank the cap space. Yeah. And uh, so that two point three, the longer you hold on to that cap space, gets Gross. you that further later in the season. You can acquire a player with a much higher cap hit because the two point three you have all along, and let's say. Let's say it's the, uh, you know, let's say it's the exact 
midpoint date of the season. You, and uh, yeah. you know, let, now it's just, 1.15. <laughs> yeah, right. So, um, so you, so you could acquire a player with a 2.3 who's making 4.6. Yeah. So that, uh, you know, you get more bang for your buck of your banking space, the longer you're able to wait to do it. So I it's think like a growth equity account. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the Flyers haven't had a lot of seasons where they've been able to, to bank cap space with the, but with the flat cap, I think that's a really valuable asset to have. Well, you can, re- I, I think a savvy general manager can really pull off some really interesting deals in the, with what's going on. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we'll see how it plays out and, you know, the, the, the CBA going forward. Uh, the other thing, and it was interesting, I, I don't think that they'll go PTO either, just because where's the room? Unless maybe it was a defenseman, maybe, but I doubt it with Gossip Bear. But we saw AV um, really in the re- original return to play um, really cut down his roster really quick because he know he goes, I got too many bodies out here. I got to get all my guys on one sheet of ice and let's go. We got a season to play post haste. I, ex- I, I expect them to kind of treat this the same way. I agree. I agree. I think you spend a day or two in conditioning, then you go into systems and you get right into scrimmages because you're going to need them. Yeah, a lot of a lot of battle drills and a lot of uh, game situations will take place, and uh, players will be coming into town. I, I imagine we'll be hearing that the Flyers have recalled guys like Michael Raffle. We'll get all those details probably tomorrow. And uh, somebody did ask as well about the schedule when it's going to be released. It'll be in the next couple of days. We'll take a look at it. We'll break it down. You know, we'll look at everything with it. World Juniors getting ready to start. Bill talked to Cam York on Friday's episode. Uh, Bobby Brink uh, has been pushed. He will be on Wednesday's episode along with Phil Myers, who signed that new contract. Uh, the WJC is getting ready to go. It's a little nice primer for us right to the NHL season. Perfect timing. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the W, the, you know, the world juniors are always uh, a great tournament anyway, um, with, with two USA players who are, are returning players this year. It's, uh, you know, particularly, uh, particularly intriguing. I mean, uh, Emil Andre will have another year for Sweden after this year. So I think next year will be the real true test for him, but it's always, it's always good to, to have that. And actually one thing we have coming up on the, uh, Flyers site is, uh, I believe it's 17 players on the current Flyers roster who have played in the World Juniors before they turned pro. Oh, so, um, wow. so we're going to take a look back at, you know, what was the World Juniors experience like for, for those guys and how did they do and, you know, was it a springboard for them? Well, one of them is not the captain, oddly enough. Oh, he did. He did. He oh, his at, second year. Second at 19. Yeah, at eight, yeah. At not an 18 year. Even, even though he had 112 points in his draft plus one year, yeah. they think yeah, hockey kind of ignored him that, that first year. That's amazing. It really is. I, I'm looking forward to the tournament. Uh, the first game for Team USA will be against Russia 6.30 on Christmas, e- on Christmas evening, not Christmas Eve, Friday night at 6.30. And they'll get a look at Askarov, the first-round pick out of uh, uh, Russia, the goaltender for the Nashville Predators. So it's going to be really intriguing. Um, the Team USA team, eight returning players, I believe, Bill. And uh, Spencer Knight's returning too. So they'll get a good goaltending out of him as well. Yeah, that's uh, you know it, it it is an experienced roster. Not well, I mean they have they have some 19, some other nineteen year olds in the blue line, but the only returning defenseman is Brink. Or Brink yeah. rather, it's York. Rather. York. Yeah. It, it, Cam York is the only returning defenseman, so you know he he should get a lot of minutes. He didn't see much ice time last year. I think he's going to play a, a key key role on the uh, you know the American blue line this time around. So that uh, you know it, it's a it's a really good group, and a lot of these players uh, are guys who came out of the. Uh, you know, the uh, development program system anyway. So they be players who know to know each other, played together a long time, and it should be, you know, it should be a good squad. And it's a motivated squad too. This is a, a team that with the returning players didn't like how it went down last year. They lost one, nothing to Finland in the quarters. They didn't medal last year. 
Um, so they're out to prove something, you know, and you're talking about players like Zegris and Cole Caulfield and some pretty big names out there. They're, they're going to be a motivated group. So we'll look forward to that. But most importantly, we're looking forward to the NHL. Uh, the camps will start two weeks from yesterday and the NHL season will begin just days away. January 13th, it will all begin. Bill, thanks for doing this. We'll be talking a lot. We're getting back to work. We're all excited. And the NHL is returning. Thanks for doing this. Special thanks to Bill Meltzer for joining us on this episode of Flyers Daily. Again, the countdown is on. Hockey is coming back. Thank goodness. We can't wait for it to start. It should be a very exciting season, all leading into a very uh, pronounced or very shortened offseason. And then right into what the NHL in their memo and their release termed a normal hockey calendar for the 21-22 season. But a 56-game regular season's on the horizon. Uh, an interesting division alignment and a lot of great hockey should happen over the next six to ten months. Everybody, thanks for listening to this episode of Flyers Daily. On Wednesday, we'll talk to Team USA forward and Flyers prospect Bobby Brink. And we'll also talk to Phil Myers, signed that new bridge contract with the Flyers. He was a restricted free agent. We'll hear from him on Wednesday's episode all in advance of Christmas as well. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you on Wednesday's episode of Flyers Daily. Hey, boss.